0: All right, it is now officially Game Week 2017 edition of Under the Dome. Uh, It's been a long time coming. Uh, This is probably one of the most anticipated uh, regular seasons and uh, preseasons in a long time. Um, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich. I'm here with uh, Sean Williams tonight on Under the Dome. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing fantastic, man.
1: Nothing but a preseason game. Uh, it's it's football. I watched the, uh, the Hall of Fame game the other night. Was really impressed with a few aspects of both the Cardinals and the, the Cowboys' offenses and defenses moving uh, moving towards the season. But uh, as you, everyone who even remotely has any uh, knowledge of me knows, it's all about the black and gold. Uh, and this week, at, uh, Thursday night, we will be live from Cleveland, Ohio, and, and that just absolutely terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's pay the bills. I want to thank Fan First Productions for uh, sponsoring our show. We invite you guys to join us on iTunes and on YouTube and subscribe to our content. Uh, every subscription means uh, means a whole lot for us. Um, and outside of that, um, real quickly, I wanted to give an update on Miss Donnie. Uh, Donnie is in the hospital in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, not sure of all the details, but uh, please, you guys, uh, please continue to send thoughts and uh and prayers in her direction she can certainly use them right now uh and so moving on without any further ado uh, it takes it gives me a great pleasure to introduce a good friend of mine uh i'm gonna let him go through his resume because i'm sure if i try to i will uh i will most definitely screw it up uh but the last accounts i had uh this man is a professional scout for the Canadian Football League. He is a study guru, uh, and you can find uh, quite a bit of his work on Canal Street Chronicles. here to introduce the Rev, and I call it the Rev Deuce, Deuce Wyndham. Uh, welcome to the show, Rev. How are you tonight, man?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Uh, always nice to get invited to things like this, and it's nice enough for you guys to think of me. Uh, yeah, you don't really have to throw out accolades. I mean, I was very honored to be able to do some independent scouting work for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this past off season, and uh, I do regular work with ESPN 97.7 here in Monroe, but uh, it's, it's just me, man. I'm just a Saints guy
0: trying to make a living. <laughs> aren't we? Well, it's great to have you on the show, <laughs> Deuce. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about your, your shows that you do is your film breakdown. I think they're very educational and helpful. Get people to understand, and this is what I'm trying to do here, too, is get people to understand play work, but why it works the way it does, because there's a lot to it. Uh, That people just don't see because they don't know quite what to look for so you doing what you've been doing uh, the past What two years three years on Facebook? Really helps kind of bring it down to the fans level of understanding how the game is played
2: Yeah, I mean I try to tell people I mean the game's not that complicated if you just take some time and if you ignore all the big fancy words I mean you don't need to know what a sting route is. You just need to know what type of receiver is running a route downfield. I mean, leave the the fancy vernacular to guys like you know scouts or John Gruden on Monday Night Football. But I think fans really want to know more. But so many are are afraid that they'll um, they're either too far behind or because they didn't play they can't understand it. But you know. It really benefits because once you know more about the game, it makes it easier to watch the game and understand why this didn't work or why this didn't work or how we're better in this area instead of just being a crapshoot every Sunday morning, <laughs> not knowing how it's going
0: to go. Exactly, exactly.
1: Well, um, you know, I, I want uh, to draw <clears throat> even more attention to the, the, uh, what you seem to have uh, more up and prevalent in right now, and that's your film studies that you are doing. Uh, today, as a matter of fact, if you, want, if you guys want to go to our Facebook page, uh, it's posted on there, the film study of wide receiver Brandon Coleman. And I know that uh, in, in the recent couple of weeks, you've done uh, Hendrickson. Uh, you've done Latimore. Uh, if, and if I remember correctly, you also did one on Adrian Peterson as well. Right. Yeah,
2: I've done Adrian Peterson, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, uh, Alex Okafor. I did bring out one on Brandon Coleman today. It's a little bit shorter than normal because NFL Game Pass was acting up, so it's only training camp films. So take that with a grain of salt. It's several plays from training camp. I still think you see some positives. Yeah, it's been a series we're doing, trying to do about two a week, um, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Dudes, uh,
1: okay, give us We'll get right
0: into it. Um. I was just going to say, Deuce, give us a kind of a thumbnail sketch then of uh, uh, Brandon Coleman. Um, where do you see this? Is, they've been reporting. This is his, probably his best training camp uh, since he's joined the Saints. Where do you see him fitting into the offense? Well, I think he is one of the best number four receivers
2: in the league, and that might not sound like a compliment for some, but what a lot of fans have to understand is the type of receiver that Brandon Coleman is, the only position he could really fight for on the team, Michael Thomas has. And no matter how good he really does, Michael Thomas is going to keep that position, which is your split in or your X or whatever you want to name it. Uh, He's not a flanker. He's not a fast, small Brandon Cooks to run the flag route. Uh, now, that being said, that doesn't mean he can't have an impact. He was really good in the red zone, uh, very big target. He's 6'6", over 200 pounds. So there's a lot that he provides. I think the main thing for fans, though, uh, they've expected a lot because his, he was hyped up because of the size. They uh, have to keep in mind, though, that he was injured with knee injuries coming out of Rutgers. He went undrafted. He had a fourth-round grade, went undrafted because of injuries and we just haven't seen a lot of burst from him or a lot of speed and movement, and we're seeing that in training camp, and that's what makes him the training camp star. It's not that he's catching passes he didn't necessarily catch before, because I'll, I'll admit, I mean, his hands are nice, but he's still dropping balls every now and then. It's the move set and the athleticism and speed we're seeing from somebody his size that we expected years ago that we're finally getting to see. His hands and his catching ability aren't going to blow you away. He's not Michael Thomas. He's still going to catch between 60 65%, but he's not Michael Thomas. But even with that, it's the ability to call, form separation that he's showing that's really impressing everybody.
1: The running narrative for Coleman, at least in my mind, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, the running narrative on Coleman for the past three, maybe four training camps is he just absolutely uh, – he blew – people away in training camp and then went once
2: okay. the season
0: he, starts.
2: Um, okay. Well, Sean Payton said last year he had a pedestrian camp. So I don't know if that's exactly blowing people away. <laughs> I think that's just a misconception because most Saints fans see um our players as we we just everybody's a training camp star and then the season because you're seven and nine everybody sucks. But that's not true. I mean a lot of things have to come together for you to win. And I honestly thought Brandon Coleman had a really good season last year considering his opportunities, the targets he got. Uh, I I thought he showed improvement, but until Saints fans see a statistical stat line that shows him being better than average, they're not
0: going to believe it. True. I agree completely. I absolutely agree with that, too, because uh, it seems like people are always trying to write him off the roster uh, to get someone, whoever the training camp darling is this year or previous years, to take his place because they think they can always get an upgrade because he was not Marcus Colston 2.0. Yeah. And like you said, you know, there's only, the only two places he can play. Either plays at X or split end position that Michael Thomas has, or he becomes that fourth receiver because he's not the guy that's going to be to stretch the defense and run the clear out routes to open up things underneath. He's your guy who's going to move the chains. He's your guy who is going to, be the red zone threat. He is that guy who's going to go over the middle. And that's kind of what his role is in this offense. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and
2: sure, there will be sub packages Sean Payton brings in where <clears> Coleman <throat> and Thomas see the field a lot together. Uh, one team they did that against a lot last year was the Atlanta Falcons. They brought in both big bodies to take on those corners that Atlanta had. And it was successful. I mean, Coleman had a yeah. good game, Thomas had a good game. But you can't do that every play. I mean, you can't yeah. do that every game. You're going to get schemed against. There are deficiencies for a receiver his size trying to run positions made for smaller receivers like slide and flanker. Uh, but what he can do as the fourth guy, I think, is undersold a lot. I, I think. So if, if, if we
0: say, I'm
1: sorry, I, I think that the point that uh, Deuce made uh, a while ago is very uh, appropriate. Going into the season last year, he kind of faded from. Uh, from the front of the pack, so to speak, towards the end of the season, he made a uh, he made a drastic improvement. Uh, he wasn't missing balls. He was uh, he for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe he was the go-to receiver in situations for Drew Brees, and he delivered in that uh, in that, uh, capacity. So, uh, I think. The opportunity is there, it's just going to be for him to reach out and take hold of it.
0: I was going to add, um, for the sake of argument, that the top four receivers are uh, Thomas Sneed. I see yeah. the Saints keeping five receivers. Who do you see coming out of this fifth receiving? Uh, that could possibly make a move and and have a a role on the Saints uh, roster this year?
2: Man, I think that's one of those questions that two weeks in a
0: training camp, any
2: answer I give you is both right and wrong because it's going (laughs) to change. Yeah. I mean, the very first week of camp, Corey Fuller came in looking like he was an all-pro. And he's kind of fizzled and hasn't seen a lot of the field. Uh, You know, he's getting – Beat up like everybody else. Tommy Lee Lewis in the past couple days has shown that look, I'm not just a return guy, I'm a deep threat receiver, and the Saints love that. Uh, and then you got Travon Durrell, the UDFA, who is obviously the hometown favorite. Everybody's pushing for him. And there are all three of them are having good camps. I mean, so it's there's nothing that you can peg down after two weeks and say this guy is the fifth guy. I mean, if I had to lean one way, I would say Tommy Lee Lewis because of his familiarity with the offense. I think that gives him a big leg up. And even though his kick and punt return duties have taken a um, backseat to guys like Ted Ginn and Kamara, the fact that he's multifaceted means he's probably got a better chance of making this roster than any other receiver currently fighting for the fifth spot.
0: That's that's kind of where I'm, uh, you know, I, I think the fifth receiver is going to either be the guy who's going to be inactive on game day or a guy who's got to play special teams as well as be a receiver for the Saints. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's the that's the battle's gonna sort itself out in training camp and even in the preseason games, and we may not really know until week one who's the guy who's gonna be that fifth receiver. Uh, let's go let's kick over to the running backs. Um I know you're a big Ingram fan, but let's talk a little about Adrian Peterson because the uh, depth chart um that whatever it's worth that came out lists uh, Ingram and Peterson is one and one a as the yeah. starters. How do you see this playing out? I honest,
2: I find that listing very accurate, especially if you look at how the Saints have run their roster the past few years. Look at last year; uh, Mark Ingram had statistically, in terms of where he ranked among his peers, one of the best backs in the NFL. I'm not just throwing that out there. He was third in elusivity rating in terms of how he did yards after contact. yards a carry, averaged seven yards a carry in the right B gap. I mean, the things he did put him at the top. I mean, one stat that really boggles most people's mind, in the past three years, no running back in the NFL has a better catch rating or drop rating over the past two years, even Le'Veon Bell. And that just blows people's minds. And now I think we still, though, would say Mark Ingram and Tim Hightower fought for the starting spot last year, even after all those accolades. That's Sean Payton's offense. I see Ingram getting between 200 and 225 carries and Adrian Peterson getting between 125 and 150, depending on how much they run. You know, I think you're going to see a one-two punch. I have yet to see the burst from Peterson that made him the Hall of Famer, but I've seen a lot of good that shows he can still run. Uh, So I still see him being that guy that they're going to definitely use the end zone for his power because he's definitely got a lot more power than uh, Mark Ingram does uh, for goal line type situations. And I think they're going to use them as a one-two punch. I don't think there's a starter that you can say this guy gets 300 carries because
0: that just doesn't happen in New Orleans. I, I completely agree. I, I predicted uh, about 10 carries a game over 16 games. There's 160 carries uh, for Peterson. And people look at me like you're crazy. I'm like, well, if you look at Hightower, he had 133, I think, last year. So, you know, 160 is not outrageous for this. And the big thing I think, for Peterson, will be for the Saints to build that early lead like they did in 2009. And then you have, like how they use Mike Bell, you have an Adrian Peterson on fresh legs coming to pound that defense uh, late in the third, early in the fourth quarter uh, when the Saints are trying to preserve a lead and run some clock. So that would be an ideal situation for me as far as uh, a Saints it for, season. For him, is going to be
2: situational. Like – for example, I see him playing a lot against Minnesota because Peyton loves their revenge card. Uh, but then again, oh, yeah. I, I don't think Adrian Peterson is a great matchup against teams like Atlanta. A, a game like Atlanta, no. I assume there's going to be a shootout. I don't want Adrian Peterson running the first quarter ten times and sucking up my clock because I feel like I'm going to be down two touchdowns. In that case, yep. I want Kamara and Ingram, and I want Peterson to probably see ten snaps. And that isn't because I don't like him. It's just a fit thing. So I think you're going to see games where – He could very well come out against Minnesota and run 15, 20 times, and everybody jumps on the bandwagon immediately on every network, ESPN, NFL.com. He's the designated starter. You're going to see him run 300 carries. He's back to his old self. And then the next two games against, you know, like uh, the Patriots, you're going to barely see him at all. So I think that's just how the season's going to go for them. They're going to flip-flop to whatever the best matchup, and hopefully they're successful.
0: I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that scenario. well, go ahead,
1: You just made mention of the wild card in the whole uh, running back core. Uh, how do you see, uh, as, as Adrian Peterson, that AK forty-one? How do you see Alvin Kamara's role, not only through the course of the season? How do you see it beginning and progressing during the course of the season?
2: Well, there was a, a website, um, I think it's Numberfire. They came out with their predictions for the team and what each player would do. And they had Camaro with 18 receptions this year. And It just called me aback. I, I see Camaro getting between 50 and 70 receptions this year. I really do. Yep. Now, in the same regard, I only see him getting probably 50 carries. And I made this comment sure. to Nick Nick Underhill, talking to him privately the other day. After going back and watching Alvin Kamara's film from last year, really putting good study into it, not just study preparing for the draft where you have to study 30 running backs or 50 running backs, but just him. I feel like he's going to push Mark Ingram for the starting spot in, in within two years. I really do. Assuming he pans out to potential and how he looks. I mean, he can come out and be the next Ryan Lee for running backs, but if he looks how he's done in preseason and on tape, He could push as a starter. I mean, people don't realize he is 220 pounds, which is a little bit bigger than Ingram. He is a a large back with the athleticism in terms of wheel routes and and slant routes and stuff that Darren Sproles showed us. He could really be that that guy. But this year, behind the three-headed monster or being the the last head of that, the tail, I see him being more an impact in the receiving game and then getting a lot of draw plays between the 20s. Uh, I don't see him getting a lot of red zone use. But I see him between the 20s, third downs, things like that, running draws up the middle that go for 20 yards, like we saw Darren Sproles do in 2011. Uh, Things like that is where he's going to be successful. Sure.
1: Okay, shift gears just a little bit. Let me ask you this. Um, For the past several seasons, the Saints, it's been Drew Brees, Luke McCaffrey, and then whatever. Uh, which which in this case has been uh, Garrett Grayson. This year going into camp, McCown's gone, Dallas. Uh, We've got Drew Brees, Chase Daniel, still have uh, hanging by a very thin thread, Garrett Grayson. But we also have Ryan Nassib mixed into into the mix. How do you see this playing out? What quarterbacks do you see? the Saints keeping on the 53-man roster, uh, possibly training camp, uh, excuse me, possibly uh, roads and also uh, kick into the cover. How do you see that playing out?
2: Well, I think you're going to keep Drew Brees. I think that's a given. Uh, I think Chase Daniels is a given. And it depends on how Garrett Grayson does. Uh, as much as I like Nassib as that kind of underdog story, his throwing motion is really weird looking. Uh, he just needs a lot of Coach Lombardi time. I don't think he's ready to see any type of NFL. Uh, anything that I've seen in training camp wouldn't lead me to believe that. Garrett Grayson is word of mouth right now. Looks to have improved from last year. So, it's going to come down to it, and Coach Payton said that they're going to give Grayson an ability to run this offense. And when he's talking about that, means he's going to give them the ones in preseason. If Garrett Grayson shows he's able to handle it, the Saints might carry three quarterbacks because they want to protect him. If they if he shows no improvement over the past couple of years, they might just let him go, stick with Chase Daniels, and then draft
0: something in the next year or so. All Yeah, I'm I'm definitely of the opinion that I think just because of injuries and need of depth at certain positions, there were two quarterbacks. I would not be surprised, however, to see Grayson end up in a practice squad again. And if they feel like he could get signed away, then they'll make a move to try and put him back on the active roster if he shows significant improvement in the preseason. Um, But the big thing is right now, I think just for – Purely for injury related depth, they're going to need to have, uh, they're going to need to save that roster spot for, say, a a backup center, um, maybe a defensive end, maybe a defensive tackle. We'll see how this plays out. I'm going to do a mock way too early 53 roster uh, tomorrow before the preseason game. And with the caveat that this will change, and I know it's going to change. Over the next four weeks, uh, injuries obviously gonna have to influence that. But I'm just gonna give you an idea who I think is probably in the lead in the clubhouse. And these are the guys you need to watch to see if they can overtake who I think is in the lead. And like we said, with the wide receiver position, uh, let's see how Tommy Lee Lewis and uh, Corey Fuller, for example, battle it out. And you can't discount uh, Williams Lambert uh, and Lampman. You know, Lampman showed a lot of stuff on special teams. And I think in the running back position, when we were talking about earlier, you know, there's a battle right now. Falasco and, um, oh, Darius um, – I can't think of the name of that running back we just brought in. Victor Butler. Uh, Victor, Victor Butler, thank you, Victor Butler. Yeah. Look, I'm not uh, here,
2: but travar's Cadet is there and strong right now.
0: Really? I don't want to talk – nobody wants to talk about I'm one of those. I'm one of those people that kind of has written off Cadet because I think Kamara's got a lot of his same skills and um, plays out. I mean,
2: I'd agree, but um, there's a reason Cadet has lasted how he has. He's kind of like when everybody wanted to know, why is Robert Meacham still on this team? Cadet (laughs) is a great blocker. Cadet is a reliable receiver. He's not great, but he's reliable. And unless Lasko can usurp him, I think a might sneak on this roster. I know everybody's going to hate to hear that. And as far as Butler goes, he's been a great store for two weeks. But as of right now, I have him nowhere near sniffing the 53. He's got to go a long way for he even yeah. thinks about the
0: real roster. Right, right, exactly. Uh, he is going to have one of those runs, I think, in one of these preseason games, probably the fourth preseason game, um, where people are like, oh, my God, look at this. This is the next. He's like – a miniature version of Ironhead Hayward, you know, because he's going <laughs> to run over somebody. And then when the Saints release him, they're going to go, look, this is typical Loomis, typical Peyton. They let this guy go you know, and, and he'll end up with Atlanta or Carolina or go to some place to become a star. Just like they got rid of Chris Ivory. Just like they get rid of anybody who's any good on this team, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, the, you know the drill. And, uh, I just think he's going to be a fun back to watch uh, this preseason. I, I, I think Lasco. I do agree, I think Lasco is hanging on by a thread. I think they keep four running backs, but uh, you said, Cadet could easily push him off the roster. Um, Lasco could hold on. It could be somebody coming on the roster. We don't even know yet. This is how this team operates when it comes to that fourth guy. Um, last thing on the offense before we switch over to the defense, the uh, offensive line. Um, we haven't talked a whole heck of a lot about it. Outside of the uh, inability to snap the shotgun, um, <laughs> we really don't, but you think about it, we really don't hear much about Pete. We don't hear yeah. much about, um, about uh, you know, the whole right side of the offensive line, whether it's Warford or uh, Warford. or Streif. Yeah. We, you know, we hear very little about it. We, we talk, the only reason why we talk about the left tackle is because Armstead is out. And then when Ramshack didn't play uh, practice for a couple days. So give us your impressions of the uh, offensive line, Deuce. What do you think our strengths are? What what are your concerns?
2: I think my concern is that left tackle spot, which doesn't have a designated starter right now. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, in in training camp, you're not going to see a ton from your offensive line. Uh, It's just, it's one of those things. It's not really full contact yet. I mean, you're not trying to kill each other in the trenches. It's, the defensive line realizes they can't go full speed because if they touch Drew Brees, they're in trouble. You know, and that doesn't mean they're not putting forth full effort. But there is a difference between you practicing at full speed and you in an NFL game
0: at full speed.
2: Uh, you know, no Oklahoma as, drills anymore. As
0: far as no like guys like Warford and, yeah. Pete,
2: Warford and Pete, I'm very confident in. I mean, there's no reason to not be so far. Zach Streif. If he can stay the ageless wonder, like I said, no worries so far. He's getting beat by Cameron Jordan, but that's also Cameron Jordan. I mean, you can't knock Pete for yeah. that. And then the left tackle is the only real concern. Now, center, I'm not worried about because reports say uh, Unger will be back before be either the last preseason game or week one. So if he's able to slide right back in, I'm not too worried. If he's not – I'm extremely worried because center has not looked good in training camp for anybody, yeah. whether it be yeah. injuries like Cameron Tom or Jack Allen throwing snaps above people's heads, uh, Laribius I do butchered his name, doing the same thing. Uh, nothing's <laughs> looked good at center. And then left tackle is Kalief Barnes, who I did a, a kind of a gauge on Twitter. Nobody's got confidence in Kalief Barnes. And then Ramchek, I mean, he's looked okay, but he needs more snaps at left tackle. So I'm not really worried. I don't get worried about anything two weeks in unless I see a, an actual doctor's report saying this guy is missing so-and-so amount of time. Uh, so I think the offensive line is still a strength. Don't worry about it, fans. Don't freak out. If we're two weeks into this, two more weeks into this, and it's still the same, okay. <laughs> Grab your britches. It might be bad, but right now yeah. it's fine.
1: When it comes to the offensive line, two narratives that concern me, and – I, I don't think I'm out of turn here to say that I saw you engage earlier uh, on Twitter earlier in the day today in regards to this. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly who it was with, but um,
0: oh, it was on my buddy Ralph.
1: With, <laughs> no, no, I think uh, I think it was our buddy Andrew and Sean.
2: Say, so it's probably a lot of. Them. Uh, I, I was. <laughs> It's been an active
1: week. (laughs) There's the the concern that you have a rookie offensive lineman, obviously, that's a concern uh, coming out of the gate. But you have him having to step in for a potential all-pro player in Toronto instead, and he's missing snaps in practice for an undisclosed reason. Do you see that as being a major concern or not so much?
2: Look, I'd say not so much right now. I mean, personal opinion, I I know a lot of people, and they are entitled to their opinion. But if your hot take right now, two weeks in, is the world has fallen and we haven't even, we've literally not seen a team play a snap of real football yet, I, I really, I ain't got time for that. I mean, obviously, I do because I love debating on Twitter, so I do have time for it.
0: But it's ridiculous to me. You're better than me at okay. that. I, I I agree with you, Deuce. I, I I am not worried about the offensive line. I'm concerned, but I'm not worried.
2: I mean, do I want am to run Armstead exactly. right now? Yeah, of course I do. But sure, I don't have sure. Von Miller coming after Drew Brees tomorrow. I mean, yeah. I feel like I have That's time true. to prepare for that, and I'm not. Nothing is scaring me at the moment.
0: I was more concerned about the off. Go ahead.
1: Me personally, I I look at it this way: it's not exactly the uh, the greatest position to be in, having Drew Brees blindside protected, so to speak, uh, by a rookie left tackle. But do you have Ramsick moving to the left side in the? position that he played in college, but so that takes part of that blow away. Having that concern, I don't know. Uh, I, I think he needs to be in there, but at the same time, I, last year at this time, everybody was talking about how badly Drew Brees was going to get mangled when the season started, and I don't think I'm aligned by saying that offensive line unit performed maybe best of any individual unit on the side of the ball for the Marlins Saints last year.
2: Well, I think um, what a lot of people have to keep in mind is Drew Brees gets the ball out very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Andres Pete, who's now your starting left guard, looked strong at left. T- I mean, people forget Pete spent more time at left tackle than he did left guard. I mean, yeah, he's the left guard. That's where I want him. But um, how many times do you remember Drew Brees just getting destroyed from his blind side with Andres Pete there? Because to me, if worse comes to worse, if Barnes doesn't look stronger preseason and Ramchek is not ready to go, Pete's simply going to slide to the left tackle spot and is going to take the guard. I mean, that seems like the logical you know, order of operations there. And I don't think there's a lot to worry. I mean, if Unger really now, – now, if we're two weeks from the season, one week from the season, and Unger's not coming back like he's supposed to, and Ramchek is, you know, falling off the face of the earth, you know, then I worry sure. because I don't have yeah. a true starter. I, I've got a sub. But Pete is a starter at either left position. You know, Unger is a starter at center. Sineo has shown he can be a serviceable starting guard, even though he's not the best option. I'm not worried. Um This all kind of hinges on Unger though. If Unger doesn't really come back by the season and Ramchek's not there to left tackle, then I do worry because the center is the most important position on the offensive line. But at the moment, like I said, guys, I just, you know, I can't worry. I mean, I sit here, nothing is telling me, Hey, look, the saints are going six and 10 all because this guy's injured. I just don't have that feeling. It's,
0: Sure. I, I, I've i gone through too many bad Saints teams, to, to have that kind of feeling. Uh, I've seen a lot worse. I mean, you watch the – go back to the Mike Dickey years, and that was a lot worse. <laughs> well, All right, right, <laughs> take,
2: well, last thing
0: on that, even if you don't want to take
2: my confidence for it, think of last year. Last year, even, everyone, myself included, said that this offensive line coming in was a weakness. And it ended up yep. being one of the highest-ranked offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, yep. I think in run blocking, they were sixth overall. I mean, so with that in mind – it's obviously not as big of a deficiency as we are being led to believe.
0: Yep. And the coaching staff has shown they can overcome weaknesses in the offensive line. They know what to do. And like you said, Drew Brees gets rid of the ball so quickly that, uh, yeah, I'm not concerned about that. Well, let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the defensive line. Uh, you've got Cameron Jordan, you've got, you've got Cameron Jordan, you've got Rankins, uh, And then you've got some question marks. Uh, You've got Davison and Andy Mata who are taking turns alternating playing next to Rankins. And then you've got the let's make a deal. What's behind door number one, two, and three for defensive end? Um, How do you see this playing out? Well, was another one of
2: those ones I get to easily deflect by saying, hey, we're two weeks in, and we haven't got to see anybody play yet. <laughs> uh, Okafor and Kikaha are your obvious two choices. There. I mean, uh, Trey Hendrickson has missed a little bit of time lately, so it's mostly between those two. And on paper, in reports, everybody from the media, everybody you will talk to who's at camp, those two players look good. But until we see them rushing a quarterback not named Drew Brees, somebody they're actually allowed to hit, I don't know. I think the defensive end position opposite Cam Jordan will probably be a rotational thing for multiple players all year long. Uh, That doesn't mean I'm not confident. That doesn't mean I am confident. It means I literally don't know because it's been two weeks, guys. Stop making conclusions. Not you two, but don't make conclusions already. I mean, give this team time to work it out.
0: Yep, I totally agree. How about Onyemata, though? How do you feel he's progressing? He sounds like, at least in the first week or so of camp, it sounded like he was having uh, a much-improved camp um, that he seems to be ready to take that next step. And then it's kind of falling off a little bit in the second week. So how do you see this guy playing out? Well, I think that's just kind of how the rumor mill
2: plays out. I don't necessarily know if that is really him falling off as much because if we're being fair – Brandon Coleman's hype train is still going strong, but he hasn't looked as impressive, quote-unquote, in the past two practices as he did before. He's dropped more passes. Yeah. I mean, uh, defense, the secondary, really stacked up their coverage and has improved. That doesn't mean Coleman regressed. Uh, so I think a lot mm-hmm. of it is just who's he facing in those one-on-one matchups. I mean, I like Onyemata as a backup three-tech or a rotational guy along the D-line, but – What are we expecting there? Is somebody really expecting him to be a three-down starter and trying to see that kind of performance? I mean, he's always been the flash guy with potential because he doesn't have a lot of football experience. He's still learning the game. He's a very raw talent who doesn't have a lot of moves. So, yeah, he's going to flash when one of his moves works. But it's that transition of, okay, the move didn't work. What do I do now that he hasn't figured out yet? He doesn't know, let's translate to this or transition to this. He's still trying to do that one trick. I mean, if the bull rush doesn't work, what do I do? If the spin don't work, what do I do? Uh, He's got a lot of work to do. And that doesn't mean I'm not confident in him. But I think if people are expecting him to show consistency every practice, that's not his player profile. He's shown he needs to learn the game still.
0: And who do you see possibly coming in as that fourth de- defensive tackle now? Because um, you got Davidson and, and Rankins, but you obviously need another guy to come in to play, for lack of a better term, the nose tackle, the uh, the dif- the the guy to back up Davidson mainly.
2: Uh, in terms of backing up Davidson, I really don't know if there is anybody at the one I think Mitchell uh, Laven which is a German name, so it's not Lowen, it's Laven. Mitchell Laven <laughs> is Nick Underhill's dark horse to make the roster. Zimmer, who is the guy we picked out of Buffalo's practice squad, have both made a, a bit of a push there. Now, both of those guys are larger guys that you would expect to play that one technique type of a role, but they've shown the ability to pass rush at times. So I think along the Saints defensive line, now for example, my unofficial 53-man roster, I've only got three defensive tackles who I call true defensive tackles. And that's because I've got about 600 defensive ends on my roster. Uh, we just don't have any, how our team is, we have players that play everything and are masters of nothing. We have a lot of jack of all trade players along our defensive liner. Now with the exception being two people, that's Rankins and Jordan. Jordan is the prototypical defensive end along that right side. Sheldon Rankins is a prototypical three technique. Everybody else is kind of a little bit of everything. So.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, you know,
1: People, if people said when Fairley went down that it was going to be such a blow and such a a, a detriment to the defensive unit, and uh, both Alan and I, I believe, agreed on this. Uh, and I, I kind of took umbrage in the way that I felt from the from the comments that I heard Alan make that he was brought in here basically to be a bridge from one point to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't ever brought in. Be the future. You you had you drafted Sheldon Rankins in the first, round. you didn't draft him to sit him on the bench. Uh, yeah, and, and Fairley was supposed to be that bridge between what is and what was going to be with uh, Sheldon Rankins. And, and I don't, I don't. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't see Nick Fairley being lost as nearly the blow everyone seemed to be seeing that it is because you, you have Sheldon mm. Jenkins, you have David on Yamato, which coming into New Orleans was absolutely uh, the very walking epitome of being raw talent. Everything that he had is based on pure, uh, pure force. Uh, he had absolutely no, uh, finesse to go with uh, and he had a year of the offseason, a year coaching to see what he can, he can bring to the table now. I don't I don't see how fairly going down is going to be uh, nearly the way that everyone seems to believe that it is.
2: Well, I think it's about time that we start that segment called The Guest Disagrees with the Host." Um, and I have to just, I can't <laughs> flow along that because even though he's a bridge and he was intended as a bridge, he was a strong concrete withstand the mighty rushing Mississippi river bridge. He was consistent and effective in every facet of the game at that three take position. He was rushing the passer very well all year. Um, he had a couple of down games, like when his mother died, things like that, but he was defending against the run well all year long. He finished as one of the best defensive tackles at his position in the entire league. Sure. Sheldon Rankins, while I like what he can become, Sheldon Rankins was not yeah. near as good against the run, which is very important for a three-down starter, and he didn't show the finesse of a pass rusher. Even though he has success, he wasn't as good as Fairley. So he would have to take a very, very big step up to match Fairley last year. So just from that standpoint, yeah, there's potential. But losing Fairley is still huge. Just because you have somebody ready in the wings doesn't make the loss any less painful because that guy is not that same level. Yes. Now, if Sean Rankins comes out and proves me wrong and becomes the next Aaron Donald, praise the Lord Jesus. But as of now, there's nothing to lead me to believe that's how things are. Right now, I simply see Nick Fairley, our probably second best defensive player from last year, is out for the season. And I'm relying on a guy who has not been a full-time starter.
0: You know, and I can can agree with both of y'all in this regard, in this statement, because this is how I saw Fairley. And uh, I totally agree with what you had to say there, Deuce. Um, I think Fairley was effective in what he had was asked to do with the Saints. He would be more effective in that rotational role, and I think that's what the Saints had envisioned for him. He would rotate a lot with Rankins to keep both of them fresh, and then there were packages where the both of them would be out there playing uh, like sort of like that NASCAR package pass rushing passes they've done in the past. Having Fairley out there has put a lot more on Rankins' plate as far as not only do you have to a first-round draft pick, you've got to also pick up the slack for a guy who was probably one of the best defensive tackles in the league last year. So that's a lot to ask of this guy. Where Anyama has to fit in, that of course is where the the other defensive end, whether it be Okafor, Kiaka, even uh, Hendrickson, has to come in and take some of that burden now off of Rankins to try and supplement or replace the production that Fairley gave you last year. So yeah, it, it, it's it affects the entire defensive line in my in my opinion. So both of y'all in that.
1: In, in that. Well, I mean, it, it's, now, it's better
0: than, not. like, um, I
2: think it's better than if Cameron Jordan had gone down because there's nobody behind him. I mean, I don't trust Kikaha to run that exactly. Ball. Yeah, you have Rankins exactly. there, but you're what you're doing is you're asking Rankins to elevate his play a lot. And I, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be mean there, but what Fairley was able to do, Rankins couldn't sniff at. Now, what they're on the field together with him and Cam, yeah, that line was very effective. But in terms of being the three-down starter Fairley was, Rankins was not at that level yet. And, and he might do that this year. But on just looking at it in terms of black and white, it's a big loss. That doesn't mean there's not potential for that to not affect us that much, but it's still a
0: huge loss. Yeah, yeah. So
2: Well, now,
1: in my defense, I would like to say that I take absolutely nothing away from Nick Fairley.
2: And- I, you can't backtrack now, Sean.
1: No, no, no. No. <laughs> um, I'm just explaining the, the very small area that I'm standing on as it crumbles away. Uh, <laughs> I take absolutely away from Nick Fairley, uh, and in my estimation, and I, I believe if you go back and search through the old shows, uh, Nick Fairley was my choice for defensive player of the year last year for the New Orleans Saints. I, I take nothing at all away from the contribution he made to this team a year ago. I just believe that there is going to be a, uh, I don't need to know the word I'm looking for. Uh, when it comes to Sheldon Rankins and David Onyema and Trey Hendricks and uh, these other guys, I, I believe they're going to step up and realize that there's room there that they're going to. Have to make up for in their approach to the game, uh, to make up for the lack of unfairly and they're going to have to uh, for this whole thing to work
0: out. Um, well, we're talking about, you know, the, the defense, defense being a jack of all trades, master of none. That's perfect transition to the other guys who have to help out this defensive line a uh, linebacking core. How do you see this linebacking core shake out? Because it seems like we've got good at one thing, but not a guy who's good at everything. And we've got guys that we're going to try and put all over the field in a distance situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think that's a good way of explaining it. Uh, if you could take Alex Anzalone, Stephon Anthony, and Menta combine those three players, you'd have Luke Keighley. and I think that's the trouble is as you said there is something that each of these players does really well for example Manti Teo is really good at defending the flats and the short passing situations he's really bad at tackling because he tackles high and he's inconsistent uh, Stefan Anthony as of the past two years of film study I've done on him the dude wouldn't recognize you know a Bugatti driving behind him because he has no peripherals and no real realization of what's going on. Zones are not his friend. But when it comes to attacking something in front of him, I don't want to be that guy because he's going to hurt me. Uh, and then you've got Alex Anzalone, who the dude has got the speed to go from sideline to sidelines, but you got to wonder, is he going to hit his target? So I, I think all these guys have got, a, got potential, and Mike Nolan is the real variable there. Is he going to be able to finally mold these guys into a cohesive unit? There's only been one player, out of the entire uh, linebacking group, that has seen be consistent in the two weeks of training camp, and that is AJ Klein as the starting Sam backer. We've seen Craig Robertson be the starting middle linebacker and the starting Will. We've seen Stefan Anthony be the third middle linebacker and the starting Will. I mean, we've we seen rotation everywhere, and I think at this point, I know as much about as the as the New Orleans Saints coaches do on who's going to be the starter come week one. It's still a very open in the air process.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's going to be one of those things where you're going to see, just like the receiving core, you're going to see guys shuttle in and out, depending on the down and distance, depending on the opponent, depending on the situation in the game. Um, I happen to think that Anthony found a home as will. Uh, I think it seems to be his appeals to his athleticism, his go get, go get him. That's all you got to do. Just go get him. Yeah. And uh, a lot of coverage at, at the Sam. Exactly. And, and well, Kline, Sam seems to be a good fit there, too. It's that middle linebacker, you know, Manti Teo, uh, Robertson, uh, rookie fit in in this. Does he play the weak side sometimes? You he play the strong side? I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling uh, all season long in that position.
1: Let me ask you both you this because I respect both of your uh, opinions. You guys, uh, and let me preface this by saying I've gotten a lot of questions during the course of the week on this. Do You guys believe, as I do, that Nolan is going to be last gasp for Stefan Anthony. Uh, in other words, is Dick, is Nolan going to be the last chance that Anthony has to stick to this roster or will it be this is your chance you blew it? Goodbye.
0: Hmm. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, if he can't play the will, he's pretty much run out of positions to play <laughs> because they're not going to go to a 34 defense and I can go to a pure 34. So, I mean, that's such a I I do kind of see this is it. For Anthony, but on the plus side, I think he is starting to get that. Um, he seems to play – we'll see what happens in the preseason. Deuce, how do you see this?
2: Like I said, preseason, I, I went through uh, after the end of last season did a pretty exhaustive film study on Stephon Anthony detailing what he does well and why he struggles under Dennis Allen, whereas under Rob Ryan it wasn't that much of a struggle. I mean, he definitely struggled in coverage, but he wasn't asked to do it as much as Anthony's going to ask his no linebacker, but it's just one of those things. Look, Mike Nolan, if he can work miracles, great. I think the wheel spot, like you said, is the last spot he really has a chance at. His athleticism would seem to indicate he could do it, but he's still going to have to cover. I mean, you can't get away from it. I mean, he's still going to have to defend running backs in the flat. He's still going to have to watch out for those slot receivers crossing over the middle. I mean, he's still going to have to drop back in intermediate zones and cover sixes. I mean, there's no way to get around it. And if he can't do that, he's going to be done.
0: Yeah, Good enough. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You can't hide. Let me,
1: ask, let me ask you this. Um, you, you've you done exhaustive film study on all these guys and you do such a fantastic job on, on what you do with those film studies. Who do you see as being maybe the two rookies that have the opportunity to make an impact on this defense in the coming season.
0: Alan, you want to go first? Oh well, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think you know, on defense, I think it's secondary. I think it's Marshawn Lattimore and um, and I think those. Two are, I think both of those guys not only have a the best opportunity to have the biggest impact in the defense. I would not be surprised to see both those guys as starters. Um, I think Williams has shown the ball hawking skills that Sean Payne's were looking for since uh, Darren Sharper was playing in the secondary. And I think uh, you drafted Marshawn Lattimore as your number one guy. You, you won him out there as your number one guy, and you're going to try and put him out there and see if he can do it. You know, the injury, yeah, that's a concern. You know, the tweak of the knee, but, but he's already back out there. You know, it's not like a Jerry's Bird injury where he sort of disappeared and no one knows where he is. He's just not in camp and no one's talking about him. He's there. We see him at practice. We see him running individual drills. He's just not in there for team drills. And I think that they are trusting and going to rely on him a lot to, to come in on and let's see how you do out there, rookie. How do yeah. you feel, Deuce? Well, I think
2: Marshall Lattimore is my favorite pick defensively, and I think his potential is the greatest. But I think the one who will have the most immediate impact is definitely going to be Marcus Williams. Uh, finally giving us the free safety on paper that we always wanted in Jaris Bird. And I'm one of the few guys who doesn't knock Jaris Bird into the dirt because there was injuries, there was scheme problems, and there was also the fact that Jaris Bird didn't have the front four that he had in, in – uh, Buffalo that made him so successful. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. So I I think Williams is the guy to watch there. there. And I think Williams is one of the players, he can be good this year regardless of how the rest of the team is, whereas Lattimore cannot. I mean, if Lattimore's bad at corner, he's just going to be bad at corner, where the free safety spot we've had, Marcus Williams, even at his worst is probably an upgrade of what we had. And that's not knocking Von Bell. But Von Bell was best in the box. His score as a free safety in terms of coverage was very, very poor. And, yeah, he can improve that. But he was stellar in the box. When I tell you he was good, he was good in the box. Mm -hmm. So if you move Bell more to a safety, strong safety-type role and then make KV the roamer, which is what he's supposed to be anyway, Marcus Williams can now be the free safety and gives you an immediate upgrade. Whereas Lattimore, he might come in and be slow, and then I would trust Devontae Harris or Sterling Moore and it's not as pressing with him, or he's not able to do as much, even though I think he's the best pick.
0: I totally agree with that. I, I think, um, you know, people are concerned because PJ Williams uh, missed a practice. They're concerned that, you know, Bro has missed a lot of practice. You, you uh, have the injury to more, But I think this year, and because of what they went through last year, in some of that depth, didn't have last year because Ken Crawley said now the game is slowing down for him. He's making plays because he understands the defense. He understands what the offense is trying to do to him. So he's anticipating a lot better. Um, Sterling Moore is a pro. All he knows is his job. Uh, Harris has even stepped up a little bit in his practices. So I think in preseason, if we don't see a lot of more and we don't see a lot of Bro. It's concerning, but if we see improvement in these preseason games by the, by the King Crawleys, by the Sterling Moores, by the uh, Devontae Harris, or even Arthur Millette, who we haven't talked much about either, uh, I think that's a good thing for the secondary because guys who can come in and play – uh, we need to get Bro and – don't get me wrong, we need to get Bro and Lattimore and, and P.J. Williams out there. But we need to have guys that – the drop-off isn't here to here. It's like here. i I be completely. Uh,
1: that's the thing that, it, that when people ask me about defensive backfield, they, I tell them, you know, you've got Bro up here and you've got uh, Lattimore here. Well, when you drop down to uh, Ken Crawley and Starling Moore, you're going from way up here to way down here. Uh, There's such a steep drop off there. That's what's concerning. It's not depth so much as the dropping quality in the depth.
0: Uh, You're going to give up the yard. You are going to give up yards. The key is, and I've last week and I'll beat it again this week, The key is turnovers. Can you get the turnovers? Can you pick off paths in the end zone? Can you stop drives and get your offense back on the field? If we can get cornerbacks who can make interceptions, that's going to help out a heck of a lot more than getting more sacks, than uh, stopping being one of the best teams in the league to stop the run, Because that is the the way this team is built, to me, that's how you win football games, is win the turnover battle, be 10, plus 11 in turnover battle like the Kansas City Chiefs are, like Atlanta was last year. Fans will be good enough to win ball games for you because you're stealing possessions, you're taking what could be an easy seven-point and flipping to a 14-point lead for yourself. That I mean, is that how you see this defense? I think one of the things that um,
2: really doesn't get talked about enough is the fact that the Saints lost so many games by such close scores. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. the defense, but special teams. I mean, they really weren't that far from being a winning football team. That I still don't believe, even if they had get to the playoffs, that they were anywhere in the same level as the playoff teams like the Packers and the Falcons. No, no chance there. But I still think that they were a Good, talented football team that lost, uh, if I remember correctly, a total of 300-plus games due to injury combined through all their players, an insanely high number. Uh, so, overall, it's just getting these guys healthy and letting them actually get reps with each other. I mean, we saw the defense look so good about halfway into the year last year when guys like Ellerby came back and, you know, rakins was able to come back, and there was actually a halfway healthy defense. Now, they didn't last towards the end, but I don't expect almost any defense to stop the Falcons. So, like I said, I really need to see this team jail. Like you brought up Ken Crawley. I mean, Ken Crawley to me has got to show he's consistent. Ken Crawley held Julio Jones to his lowest rating and lowest um, performance of the year of his whole year last year. One catch That's on totally. five targets, sixteen yards, and he went actually went one for seven. When you add in the other corners, and Ken Crawley did that with all solo coverages, no safety help except on the one catch. So every time he was solo, he stopped Julio Jones. Three of those were in the end zone. And then he would go in and do the exact opposite against less talented wide receivers. So if he can just, you know, (laughs) work on his consistency, keep in mind he was a rookie UDFA. But you saw the potential there. You saw what could be. And I think you've seen that a lot with the New Orleans Saints. But the only way for that to turn into anything for any team in the NFL is teams that are able to actually work together, build cohesion. And that only comes when you're able to stay healthy. So if they're healthy... I see this team winning nine, ten games if they're not healthy. Ah, well, then we're probably going to see the end of the Drew Brees, Champagne Payton era.
0: Good point. Well, well, we talked. You, you touched on special teams a little bit, and uh, go straight to the heart of the matter with this: the new coaches, the new special teams coach, the new defensive line coach. And, and we talked a little bit, Mike Nolan, uh, the return of CJ. Um, What impact have you seen these new coaches have with this team?
2: Well, it's tough. I mean, I want to jump on that bandwagon, but I've also got to feel like I have to play the um, uh, journalist-slash-scout role um, where you're you're kind of even keel. For example, I could very easily try to attribute – Brandon Coleman coming out and being more aggressive and looking more on fire due to Curtis Johnson coming in or or Stefan Anthony looking competent at the wheel linebacker due to Mike Nolan. But in all honesty, you can't really judge their performance until the regular season starts and then you're able to see it on the field. Do I like the hype and the um, enthusiasm and the, the fire that we're seeing from these new coaches? Yeah, I love it. Haven't seen it in years in training camp. That doesn't necessarily mean Absolutely. it's translate. Passion does not always translate to performance. So once I see the performance aspect added to the passion, then I'll give it my thumbs up.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I love the enthusiasm, the, uh, the things I see on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, about how, uh, how hard they're hitting so on and so forth. I love that. And I think that's something that's long overdue that we didn't see from the Greenbrier. Um, it's all going to start day after tomorrow in Cleveland. Uh, we're going as great as the vibe is if it, the uh so on so forth. It's not going to make very much difference at all unless we see on the field in Cleveland unless we see it on the field in Minnesota, unless we see it on the floor against it, uh, they're going to have to find a way to take all of this pointed out these uh these advantages that they have. They're unless they find a way to take that out there on the field and produce, it's not
0: gonna make a bit of difference. Hey, we got Smoke Jay Cutler maybe playing against it in in uh <laughs> in in London. So that's a good way for us to pad our turnover stats. Uh I, I'm looking forward to that. Um The meme that you, I, you the meme that you posted
1: the other day about uh of Jay Cutler smoking a cigarette talking about uh hey Gase, how many have I completed? And he is uh three of the linebackers. Two to the defensive backfield
0: doesn't matter. I completed them. Yeah, that made that made, <laughs> man. Yeah, I tell you, I'm enjoying these smoking Jake Cutler memes back. Um, well, Deuce, um, season game in two years. Uh, I think we're 0 and 8 uh, oh, no. over the past two years. How do you see this preseason game shaking out? Not that it matters. But how do you see it shaking out? Do you think they kind of have to win a couple of preseason games to kind of build confidence on this team? Well, let me
2: say this. Um, everybody remembers that famous Detroit Lions team that never won a regular season game, right? Mm-hmm. Can anybody tell me what they did in the preseason?
0: They went undefeated. Yeah, they went undefeated. I do remember so that.
2: Preseason don't mean Jack squat. Uh, you have 90 players trying to make the roster. Uh, all I'm looking for is effectiveness. If you run the ball efficiently, I mean, if you get blocks, I don't care what the scores. We could get beat by the Browns 60-7. to 70. But if my first two teams came in and looked amazing and then the fourth team in the fourth quarter gave up 30 points, I don't care. All I still care gonna- about is how the players look. Yeah,
1: It's still going to stink.
2: I mean, nobody wants to see their team lose, of course, but it doesn't matter in the scheme of things because if it mattered, Uh, man, the Detroit Lions should have gone undefeated that year.
0: Right. You know, my big thing is, and a lot of people remember this. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sean. Well, I was going to say, a lot of people remember. In 2009, the Saints came out and just tore up Oakland. And, yes, that's Jamarcus Russell-era Oakland Raiders. It's not like you playing against David Carr. But I think in that 2009 game, we saw what we were getting ready to see in the regular season. So to me, the only preseason game I'm even remotely really concerned about is that third one when your starters are supposed to play about a half, maybe into the third quarter. That's the game I really want to see. Okay, how sharp do we look? Do we look like we're ready to go play a regular season game right now? Are we executing well on defense? Are we forcing turnovers? Are we playing the run well? Are we jumping on routes and and look like a good team getting ready to enter the preseason? And that's the only game I care about is that third preseason game. I'll say I care about all of them, but
2: (laughs) that's only because I need to see these defensive backs with a lot of snaps.
0: There you go. There you go. You know, um,
1: I, I I don't really – you know, anytime time they line it up, I, I, I have to be totally honest. Anytime that the Florida goes out on the field, I want to see buttholes and elbows, and I want to see winning scores. Uh, and, and if I'm totally honest, that's going to be it. Um, it, it. Being realistic, the only – thing that matters is going to Minnesota, bringing home a W, uh, coming home, going up against the Patriots, getting a W there. Uh, this team, I do believe, and I don't think that I'm I'm very far out of line to, to, to say this, this team has the potential to be that Team that can go to the next level, uh, and, and I, I do believe that's a design because uh, if you break it down in simplest terms, if Sean Payton doesn't take it to the next level, he's likely going to be unemployed. Um, that being said, I think that this has the makings of being one of those quote quote very special teams.
0: We'll see. We'll see how this plays out, um, Deuce. I want to thank you for uh, joining us this evening. Um, as always, your opinions, your uh, your contributions are incredibly valuable and helpful. Uh, in a lot of in a sea of noise out there, you're a good voice for us to go to uh, <laughs> when it comes to this because you you know you break like we said in the beginning. You break down the film. You look at stuff and you really give a unique perspective uh, and you make it in a way that most people can understand it. And that's always helpful because the more people understand the game, the more you can appreciate what's going on out there rather than why is Drew Brees throwing to an empty spot in the field? Doesn't he see the receiver? (laughs) And uh, all too often going to Saints games, listen to fans talk. That's how I feel like they, they think that Drew Brees, it's not huddle and imagines, okay, drawing in the dirt, you go to the Buick, cut across <laughs> there, and pick it up right by the fire hydrant. And and you go deep. You just go deep. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You, you go to the popcorn blender,
1: You chase the guy over there in the yellow smock. Uh, uh, Deuce, I want to thank you so much for uh, for making the time to uh, accommodate us here, and uh, I've been getting messages this entire time, uh, and I, I, for them, I want to say thank you very much for uh, for being on our show with us. Please, if you would, uh, take a moment and tell everyone how they can follow you, follow your work, your film study, so on and so forth. How they can follow. You
2: work yeah sure well first off guys thanks for having me on i definitely appreciate you guys thinking about me so that's pretty awesome and as far as follow me i won't give y'all guys a ton of links or anything keep it real simple uh, go to the canal street chronicles website and you'll find my video uh, film breakdowns twice a week or you can follow me at on twitter at at Rev Windham, r-e-v-d-e-u-c-e-w-i-n-d-h-a-m that's simple i mean go to the website or you can hunt me down on facebook or twitter i talk with everybody
1: and i can vouch for that he does uh it's not always uh and and, and it's always good i'll put it that
0: way <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> deuce had me sold when we went live and i'm looking in the background the whole time he's talking and I'm looking at the rebel hat he's got on i see the death star and i see the enterprise back there i saw cap's original shield i see the little saber and i'm looking at those boxes down there and i'm going okay it's a star trek box what is that right there that appeals to the inner comic book geek inner sci-fi geek that i am so i totally <laughs> dig it i really love it so you can come uh, on to also, any time, as long as I get to talk about that stuff behind you.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, I also uh, already went ahead and sent you a link to uh, the different unboxing videos I did on my YouTube channel, so you can actually see some of these subscription boxes and try them out. I think you'll really like them.
0: Okay, good deal, good deal.
1: That's what I wanted to say. I wanted, to, I wanted you to your uh, your YouTube channel that you and, uh, you and the missus were doing – but Also, I wanted to congratulate you publicly on her for uh for Eli. How's the little guy doing these days?
2: He is good, he is getting very large. He's like in the 95th percentile of size for his age. He is three months old, very tall, and like 17 pounds. Uh, he's he's a monster. <laughs> he was, I just put this way, he was holding himself up at two weeks old. Yeah, he is way ahead of the game. Uh... So- so we're, we're, I can relate, relate. <laughs> we we'll are
1: be covering him here shortly. Then,
2: right? yeah, we, when he we'll starts- probably have to prepare him for college in the next couple of years. He's growing,
0: growing. yeah. Well, I was gonna say, when, when he starts playing little league football, we're gonna get deuce breaking down the film on his son playing football. <laughs> that definitely will be happening. Yes. <laughs> hey, I did it too. Believe me, I did it too. Um, thank you again, deuce, for joining us, and um. You know, this time next week, we have a preseason game in the book. In fact, we have football, I believe, all weekend. I think it starts Thursday night with the Saints game. But I think there's a game Friday, Saturday, and Sunday week. So we're at football all week. We'll talk about uh, play it out Sunday, I mean, uh, Thursday, next Tuesday. And, um, uh, Sean, I believe we have a couple other guests we're trying to line up for next week, too. And we also have a preview show to um... talk about.
1: We we uh, we're. We're making we're kind of uh, negotiating. Is that the the, right, the right word? Yeah, um, that's
0: how it is, negotiating.
1: Yeah, negotiate. We're negotiating contracts. Uh, we're uh we're dealing with quite a few different guests right now. Uh, excuse me, potential guests. Uh, and, and it's all for you guys. We thank you so much for your. Uh, there for all of the uh all the non, and rev Deuce, and myself uh and obviously myself bottom of that spectrum there uh for all of the, the, the stuff that we know the stuff that we talk about absolutely nothing without you guys punching on that link, uh, and joining us every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, For your support, it means everything in the world to us, and we wouldn't be us without you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. As always, we appreciate you guys sticking with us, even though we always go over time. That's um, what happens when you want to talk Saints football, you know, you can't stick to an hour. So thank you again for joining us and uh, join us next week on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody.